When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Show. I hope you're having a blessed day. This is Linda Kozar, your host, and I will be interviewing award-winning author, radio host, and speaker, Parker J. Cole, today. I can't wait to get started, so I'm going to read her bio and introduce her to you properly. Parker Cole is an author, radio show host, speaker, and executive of PJC Media Network. She writes Christian romance novels for speculative fiction, or what we like to call spec fic. She writes under the name Parker Payne. As a radio show host, Parker showcases Christian authors worldwide on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. From Detroit to England to Pakistan, Parker loves to interview authors from all over the place. If you're a Christian author interested in being on the show, please drop her an email to uh, writestuffradio at gmail.com. Um, as a speaker, Parker has taught workshops to encourage aspiring authors to pick up the pen and write. Various workshops have included how to write a novel in 30 days, or the business side of writing, self-editing for authors, and more. Um, so as executive of PJC Media Network, Parker believes in providing real Christian talk about everything that involves the body of Christ. Um, welcome to the show, Parker. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know. I'm so, I'm so glad you're here today. And you have, you know what? I need to get a count of how many books you've completed. I mean, how many books you have published because you usually it's never right. On I, I don't even know one Christian author that has ever told me the right amount of books because we lose right? count or we, don't, or we don't update, you know, often enough. So how many is it today? Well, right now I have 11 published works, but now I have two. I'm working on my 13th release now. My 12th release I just finished last month. It's in the editing phase. And my 13th release is coming out on Monday. So that's the total count so far. And believe me, there's still more to come. And there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into doing them. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Now, you know what? I My favorite Part of your bio is your social media bio, and I'm going to read that. Parker J. Cole is a diehard Trekkie, sci-fi lover, fantasy dweller, romance junkie, anime freak, old movie buff, churchgoer, off and on, Mountain Dew, and marshmallow recovering addict who who writes to fill the void the sugar left behind. I love that. Amen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's who I really am. The other stuff is just for people who have to put me on television, but if you really want to know me, I'm an eclectic person. I have a lot of different interests. I'm like a person who, like, chases a squirrel. I'm like a golden retriever that chases a squirrel. You know what I mean? And so I can't always tell you exactly what you want to know, but you'll find out eventually because I do have the gift of gab. And I can talk, (laughs) like this one pastor said one time, Linda, he said, that pastor can preach the horns off a billy goat. (laughs) And I was like, that's a preacher if the horns come off a billy goat. I don't Got even know. I never even met a Billy Goat, but I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, um, so you have 11 books, and your recent, I mean, your newest release that is coming out on Monday is uh, part of your Java series, right? No, actually, that one is part of Lantern in the Window series, and that's a oh. series 
of historical romance. It's historical romance, and it's called Lantern of Charity. And what's really oh, wow. exciting about that about this is that this is my first this year is my first year writing historical sweet romances. I did not know I could do it, but I joined a multi-author project group, and we are writing a very um, very popular series called Silver Pines. And then I started to branch out with another author, and we started our own series called Lantern in the Window. So this is the fourth book to that series called Lantern of Charity. Oh, that's nice. I love it. And great title, too. Um, so let's go, let's backtrack a little before we talk about your books. Um, tell us about your very first book or how you got started writing. I have to be honest and say I was extremely fortunate in knowing that I will always be an author. I was extremely fortunate in that. What I wasn't aware of that I'd be a Christian author because when I was growing up, I didn't know such a thing existed. And I always thought me and yeah. Stephen King would one day write a book together. That was my dream. Me and Stephen <laughs> King write a book together because I love horror. I grew up reading, you know, watching monster movies and horror flicks yeah. and stuff like that. And so that's what my first love was. But I was extremely fortunate to know that writing would be my purpose and my passion because I always loved to read and I loved to write. I used to tell to my cousins and my sisters when I was younger, and we'd be in bed going to bed, and I would tell them stories, and they would listen. And then as I got into school, my fifth grade teacher, no, I'm sorry, my sixth grade teacher, Ms. Gregg, she gave us a writing assignment. We had to take our spelling words and turn it into a story. And then that is when I started to actually take writing and turn it into something that other people enjoyed, not just my family. And come to find out that the students really did like what I wrote. And that is how my journey began. I can honestly say I always knew I would write. It was it was inbred yeah. in me. I think I was born to write. And that's a the question I have on my show sometimes, Linda, is are writers born and bred? You know, um, and I have a definite opinion about that because I think you can teach someone all you want, but that doesn't mean they're going to be a great writer. They can be technically correct, but boring, you know, mm-hmm. and not be mm-hmm. able to tell a story. But someone, you can take someone who has a lot of problems spelling and putting putting sentences together if they're a storyteller. And you can you yes. can help them along with them and groom them into being an excellent writer. So, but you can't. I read a book yeah. one time, Linda, and I said this on my Facebook. I read this book because I like romance. I love romance, okay? So I read this mm-hmm. book. The cover got me to me like, oh, this looks like a really good book. So I bought it, which made me mad. Okay, I bought it. And so I bought this book. It was perfectly edited. It was the most boring story I'd read in forever, okay? I won't mention <laughs> author's name because you may have interviewed them, and I don't want them to know, okay? <laughs> I read this story, and I said, somebody shoot me and it was so it mind you it was perfectly edited but there was no story and I'm sitting there going where right. is the story this is a romance <laughs> you know where is the yeah. angst between girl and guy what's going on ah, I was so you've upset. got to have that conflict yeah, yeah you've that's have why it. I think writers are born I think writers are born you can technically teach yeah. anyone to do anything but I do think you have to have a natural aptitude now mind you yeah. that isn't always the case that is always the case but a computer I do think could write. Are born. A computer could write a romance novel. Exactly. And I'm mm-hmm. sure it would be boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At least I hope. I'm I'm hoping it would be boring. <laughs> yeah, you'd be a little worried if the computer writes a better romance than you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, uh-uh, no. <laughs> so, Down so with AI. First, <laughs> I know. So, um, so your first book. I mean, how long did it take you to write your first book? My first book took 10 years. I started that book at the tender age of 18, and I didn't finish it until I was 28. It was a horror novel I had written, and it was based off of an experience that I had with a friend of mine. And the experience bothered me so much that I ended up turning it into a book. Over the years, as I learned how to write better and get used to it, the ideas of that story changed. But when I lost my job back in early 2000s when I lost my job I said you know what I'm tired of looking at this on this computer and for those of you who are young enough 
um, who are young enough not to know, I had a three-and-a-half floppy disk, and that's an archaic item oh, yeah. that was used back in the early 90s, where instead of using clouds and USBs, we had a three-and-a-half floppy disk, and it was a yeah. physical artifact that you insert it into something called a drive on your computer. And I would use the yeah. three-and-a-half floppy, and I had that story on there for years. As a matter of fact, Linda, to show you the the archaic uh mediums that we used back then, I had switched it from a five-and-a-half floppy to a three-and-a-half floppy, and I had gotten <laughs> real techie then, you know, because a five-and-a-half floppy oh, yeah. was, flip, was flimsy, you know. So, yeah, that's if, how if my you're writing your book long enough for technology to change several times, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> then that's too long. <laughs> so it took you would know about that. Well, you know, they say, well, the average time they say it takes for an author to get published is 10 to 14 years. So you're right at the lower end of that. Well, at least I'm at the lower end. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but many I'm a fine really writer has something. been at the upper end. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, and your first book, um, what was it like when you, I mean, did you think you were ever going to finish it? Because, you know, it seems like such a daunting task to write an entire book. Cause I was thinking, Oh, surely my book doesn't have to be longer than 10 pages. <laughs> you know, right. before you know anything, before you know about word counts or any of that, um, you really know nothing. You go into it not mm-hmm. knowing. Mm-hmm. So what was it like for you when you finished it? Well, I got to say, um, when I first started it, it didn't have a Christian thing to it. It was more so of a horror story, and it dealt with this girl dealing with the uh, event and things of that nature. And I'm glad it took as long as it did because, like I said, I didn't know the Christian market existed. I didn't know it existed until one day I wandered into a store called Family Christian Stores that I had no idea existed. And so when I saw that there were all kinds of books, when I saw that there were horror books written by Christian authors, I was like, I'm thinking I was going to come up with a new genre, you know, <laughs> like, wow, they've yeah. never heard like of Like Ted Decker. Horror. <laughs> yeah, like Decker, yeah. Peretti, you know, some of the other ones, yeah. and some of the indie authors I know. And I thought I thought it was going to be the first Parker J. Cole horror novel. And I was like, no, it's been around for a while. You're late. And I was very, <laughs> uh, very shocked by that. And so, um, so I didn't know about word counts, and I didn't know about that. But I did know that the story had to change because the story was very secular, kind of explicit. There was a lot of cussing in it um, because that's what I thought you had to write. And mm-hmm. um, there was no redemption. There was um, just aspects that when I look back on, I go, wow, I can't believe I put this in here. You know, so it was um, more like things of that dystopian, yeah, almost, yeah. you know, okay. Yeah, and you have to get, you know what, uh, to treat uh, the subject of cursing, you have to get creative. Because I remember yeah. uh, in one of my books I wrote, he cursed her from A to Z, but he kept stopping at certain letters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you got to get creative, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a, a, a Christian book is, is a whole lot different. But uh, but you don't really lose that much. You really don't. I mean, I don't think so. It just makes you more creative about it. I think now, it depends um, on your reader, too. I think it depends yeah. on your readers because some readers have higher tolerances for certain things in their books than other readers. And so you do have to know your market. Yeah, I mean, people get, um, I don't know, they're, they're so used to hearing those words that, it you know, it's like second nature. But um, mm-hmm. it's always more fun to kind of challenge, you know, just do something, do something different, do something better, you know. Right. Now, um, are you a, are you a plotter or a pantser? I am definitely a pantser, but I've learned to accept my new boyfriend plot. I've accepted him, <laughs> and the reason why is because you do kind of have to know a little bit where you're going. Like we all can't be lost in the forest trying to find our way home. And so what I've learned, so me and my plotter boyfriend can live together, I plot maybe three chapters, and then I only put, like, the bare minimum information, the bare minimum, because I don't want to fully discontinue the flow of creativity. But I at least want to know, hey, in this scene, he's going to find out 
that she had his kid and he didn't know about it. You know, so at least you know where that scene is going. And then the next scene, she tells yeah. him, no, oh, this is not your child. You know, <laughs> you know, something I'm making it up as I go right now, but, you know. <laughs> no, we have a lot in common because I write the first, I call myself a planter because I do the mm-hmm. first three chapters and then I plot from there. You know, mm-hmm. but I have to just get yeah. those out organically first. It, it, don't you feel like that helps? Oh, yeah. I definitely feel that way because you do have a slight roadmap. You do have something you want to go. But the journey and the discovery is so much fun. You know, if I can say this, Linda, I know a, a plotter who recently, for Nano last year, he pantsed his whole book. He pants the whole thing, got 50,000 words or more. He is wow. bemoaning the fact that he pantsed it. He hates it he hates it because he's like i have no idea what was going on and this and this i said well because you like to control every aspect of your book that's why pansy didn't work for you but for some of us we just love some people like to know where they're going some of us like to just go along for the ride and that's what i think i fall into that category yeah like more of an explorer your character takes you there you know, which mm-hmm. is kind of fun and exciting. You know, it's like being a reader, except mm-hmm. it's coming out of your brain. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, so let's see. See, so you write an eclectic, uh, a variety of genres. You know, everything mm-hmm. from edgy Christian romance to sweet inspirational romance, contemporary, um, historical anthologies, and speculative fiction. Which genre is your favorite? Okay, I have more questions than that, but which which one so far is your favorite? I think I always love romance and spec, but I can't choose one or the other. But if you had to say which one would you write first, I would say romance because I love a good romance story. I love the ups and downs of a relationship. I love to see how a gentleman woos the girl, how a girl woos the gentleman. I love to see that. I even like the fact that sometimes the lines are cheesy in a romance now because you know they'll never say that out loud. Matter of fact, Linda, I put this on my Facebook yesterday, and I put up a picture of Ever After with uh, Drew Barrymore and Dougery Scott. Oh, yeah. played Cinderella, yeah. like the Cinderella story. And I put that up on my Facebook, and my favorite line, one of my favorite lines in the movie is she goes, I'm sorry, my mouth has run away with me again. And he goes, no, my lady, it's your mouth that has me hypnotized, right? And it's so <sighs> cheesy, but I love it because no one in real life speaks that way. But no. when you're in that romance and you're following the story of this guy and this girl, it makes complete sense. And that's what I love about romance. I love that at the end you'll get your happily ever after or happily for now. We know that sometimes Things don't always work out the way they're supposed to, but I always will. In my books, happily ever after forever, okay? <laughs> so that's, well, why, that's why I like it. I have a theory that, like, that every successful novel has the elements of romance and mystery mm-hmm. in them. I mean, in order to be successful. Because, um, what, 80% of the market is, are, are romance readers, you know, yeah. and it seems like every book has some sort of mystery to it involved in it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you look at you write in a certain genre, you may not realize it, but you're writing in other genres as well. It's a mashup. Um, so so romance, you would say, comes naturally to you as a writer mm-hmm. out of all of them. Which genre would you never write in? I will probably never write a children's book because my children's books will probably be too scary for a child. (laughs) And I tend to, mind you, I think children's books are some of the most difficult books out there, but they can be incredibly simplistic. I saw a book recently, Linda, you may have seen it. It was a book about a dot and you push the dot and then you shake the book, and then you open up the next page, and there's two dots. And, and I'm going, I could have came up with this, and I never did. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I never came up with the dot book. And then <laughs> I've read some books where, some children's books, where they're so adamant about teaching morals that it's cheesy. And it, I'm, uh, I'm not saying yeah. you're not supposed to teach morals. I'm not saying that. But I'm like, right. oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, I can't, you know. <laughs> Oh, so I think 
children's books is probably a medium I will never write in. But they do say never say never. Maybe if I have my own children one day, that may change. Who knows? But for right now, I don't see myself writing a children's book. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Um, we have um, the ACFW uh, Woodlands, Texas chapter here in, um, well, the Woodlands, Texas. And every mm-hmm. year I started hosting uh, a white elephant book exchange party. And so mm-hmm. we have to bring nothing to disparage an author, but we like to find obscure books with crazy titles or subject matter. And and you don't know what you're going to open up, but we have the craziest books. It's so, so much fun. Like, uh, and my favorite one was a, from a British lady. She was a nanny and she wrote bedtime stories for children you hate. <laughs> and it was so, it's so horribly dark. It's terrible. But anyway, that was one of our fun. That was the one of the funniest ones we exchanged. But we do it every year. And it's like, it's a hoot. It's hilarious. But um, so um, what do you think your greatest gift and greatest challenge challenge is, you know, as a writer, you know, what would be your greatest gift and your greatest challenge? I've thought about this a lot, Linda. I think my greatest gift as a writer is the fact I know how to tell a good romance story. I know how to tell it. And I think in a technical asset that I have is my descriptions. I love to use words so that when you read it, you can visualize the person in your head. Um, yes. Sometimes I have been critiqued about it, um, but I do think that technically I do have that ability to tell a good romance with good descriptors. My challenge is making sure I don't get caught into editing mode. Even though I'm a pantser, I still get caught in editing mode. And sometimes I'll go back mm-hmm. and say, well, instead of saying red lips, say strawberry pink lips. Or instead of saying hair like oil, say raven's wings, color of raven's wings, things of that nature, because I want to get mm-hmm. the visual in your head. And so that editor, that inner editor sometimes interferes with the creative flow, even though I am a pantser. And so I think that's one of my greatest challenges to eventually overcome, because you do want to get the story done. You want to get it done so you can share it with the world. And so for our listeners out there listening, if you have the inner editor in your head, you want to make sure you get some tape, get a couple of, you know, staples, and then tape its mouth and then staple its mouth shut together, and then it won't say anything because get the book done first. You definitely want to shut up the inner editor first. And it's difficult because we're so hard on ourselves that we forget that we make mistakes and that we can always fix it later. And then you have to shut up the social media Thing, oh whatever my it is. <laughs> because oh that my gosh. Ding, I think ding, ding, ding. when I was younger, okay, before social media became a thing. When I there's a there's a definite memory I have, Linda. I was about twenty, I was twenty. And I had a word processor and it processed had a little screen on like a little tiny screen. For those of you out there, a word processor <sighs> is a mix between a typewriter yeah. and a small monitor. I know I'm using yeah. Texan. And so um I was sitting there And I was able to write for several hours. Mind you, I wasn't married. I didn't have a house. I stayed at home with my parents. So I remember this very distinctly. I remember five hours sitting there, and I had um, a movie on, a Disney movie on that I've seen like a thousand times because I needed that white noise. And I would simply play the movie, write, and when the movie came off, I would rewind it on VHS. For those of you, again, that's the archaic machinery thing. And I rewind it and play it again, and write. And so I rewound that movie five times. So we're talking about maybe six and a half hours of focusing on the story. There were no distractions. Now I'd be so happy <laughs> to get a half hour without being distracted by social media. It is, yes. it's a, It helps us connect with everyone around the world, but it's also very distracting. And because yes. we need to build our platforms, we need it. So it's a necessary evil. So what I would suggest, and what I've been doing is taking the Internet off. Like if you have wireless Internet, I would take it off. Or if you're wired, unplug it from the wire. Because when you yeah. go to click on the Internet button and you can't get to you go, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to be writing. So that's what I would suggest. Yeah, it's good to really kind of unplug yourself and just write. You know, go zero dark 30. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and um, 
yeah, just do it that way. I agree. I agree. Um, now, I thought we would talk about, too, the difference between edgy Christian fiction. That was a thing, oh, I'd say in, like, 2010, we started to hear about edgy Christian fiction. Um, would that be – how would you describe it? Because I, I knew there's you know, so several many, There's so many people who have different opinions about what's edgy, and that's why I've come to the conclusion that you just have to know your market. Because some people consider my Sins of the Flesh series to be edgy. And some people consider, oh, it's a great story. And so edgy means that we touch on topics that may be considered taboo within the mainstream Christian publishing according to CBA guidelines. That's what it would mean as far as I understand the term. And with CBA guidelines for romance, I'm not saying for other genres, just for romance, there were certain restrictions that were put on it. And so when I remember, I remember reading the CBA guidelines and I said, gee, who can write this? I don't know anyone who hasn't done these things. Because <laughs> one, the, one of the guidelines was the character can't lie. And I said, they can't lie, they don't exist. As I was thinking, I was like, they can't lie, they don't exist. And then there was, I, you know, yeah. some things like drinking and swearing, you know, promiscuity, stuff like that which I could understand, but I was thinking half the church is doing that already. So this is kind of, you know, what's, what's, I don't want to say what's the point, but okay, <laughs> I was really flabbergasted. You, you want to be so, real. You want to be real. Yeah. But you, you have to, if you're writing for a publishing house, you have to, you know, mm-hmm. adhere to their guidelines. And that's difficult. Because yeah. I remember my first book, The Publishing House, I had mentioned a tampon. You know, she pulled. She was pulling things out of her purse, looking for something, and one of the things she pulled out was a tampon, and I couldn't say that. You know, so. And I'm like, but I, I mean, what else would you call it? The thingy? You know, I mean, <laughs> well, well, I had to change it to. I changed it to something which I thought was even grosser. Um, a nose hair trimmer. <laughs> wow. An electric. I'd rather an electric, a tampon, by the way. <laughs> yes, I would too. Instead of an electric nose hair trimmer, but hey, mm-hmm. they like that. That was okay. So (laughs) you just get creative, but it's, it is, it's difficult. And you, and you know, to deal with these topics that are real, you know, and to be sensitive Mm -hmm. about them and about our readers, it's, it's like walking Mm -hmm. a tightrope for sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think with, with everything, especially, and you know about this one, that there's this huge call for diverse fiction and it's a huge call for that right now. I mean, people are, I mean, the, I can't remember her name, but she was at RWA and she was talking about how she got the award and how she talked about diverse fiction, even though she was more so talking about lifestyle and alternative lifestyle things, stuff like that. But there's this mm-hmm. huge call for diverse fiction. And one of the criticisms that has been against Christian fiction in general, not everybody, of course, but one of the criticisms has been the lack of edginess, the lack of reality, and the um, one-dimensional characters, meaning most, most of the characters have been Caucasian and stuff like that. And so I know yeah. that the Christian publishing market is responding to that. Um, so that could be considered edgy, too, because, like, in my stories, I have interracial couples because I, I my husband is German and he's Irish. So I'm in an interracial relationship myself. So mm-hmm. I'm going to mimic that in my story, so that's what I know. Sure. And then what's interestingly enough, I mean, I'm talking romance, but you can express this in other genres, too. In 2050, they're predicting that half of the U.S. population is going to be of mixed or biracial ethnicity. So then mm-hmm. who are your readers going to be? And so that's why we have to respond to that. And so that could be considered edgy, too. It really depends on who you're talking to. You know, so that's why I gave, like, the quote-unquote technical term as I understood it, but it can also mean other things, too. Well, you know, if you look back, say, um, 50 or 60 years ago, the writing was so much different. Everything was sort mm-hmm. of flowery you know I mean Mm -hmm. just the style of writing what was expected what was accepted Mm -hmm. and and we would be considered edgy today (laughs) yeah back then and we don't have that stuff in our books I don't have anything explicit I mean I really don't but I was uh, yeah and I was watching Alfred Hitchcock Linda I was watching Alfred Hitchcock Presents that old show from back in the day I was watching that yeah and he had a couple of shows where there are writers. And I look at the writing. I said, they're telling. They're not showing. <laughs> they show like a small clip of the mystery uh, she was writing. She, she's telling. She's using too many was. 
and ever. <laughs> but, but that was writing back then. So writing does change yeah. over time. Yeah. You just got to know what the trends are. Yeah, it's, it's true. What was acceptable back then, well, isn't now. And what you learned in mm-hmm. English class in college isn't the way writers actually write, <laughs> you know, authors mm-hmm. write. We can start a mm-hmm. sentence with and if we want to, you know. Oh, we man. Can, we can do things, you know. Um, <laughs> we can end the sentence with a preposition. <laughs> yeah, we can. If it works, only if it works. But, you know, my favorite Alfred Hitchcock episode was the one where the wife uh, who had an argument with her husband hit him over the head with a frozen rack of lamb and then yes, put it in the I oven. It was like, wasn't it great? I've never talked to anybody else who actually knows that episode. And then she served yes. it to the policeman who came to investigate, which I loved. It was a little mint sauce, you know. My favorite. <laughs> that was genius. Oh, Alfred Hitchcock was very good. At, he was good at the understated because he had to work a, a, around a lot of guidelines. But my favorite yes. episode, Alfred Hitchcock, and for our listeners out there, especially the young ones, don't be afraid to look at the older stuff because you'll be amazed at, due to the restrictions, the kind of stories they were able to tell that was still very entertaining. Like my favorite one so far, and I watched several of them, um, is the one with the taxidermist, and his brother is running his wife ragged. He's the brother oh, of her brother yes. running his wife ragged. And he looks at him, and they told him about to kill the guy, and he stuck the guy in the, in the horse. But it was done humorously. <laughs> it wasn't done where, you know, the saw and, you know, drops the blood all over the place and things and that. No. You know, it was humorous. And, very tongue-in-cheek. Uh, that's one of my favorite ones. Yeah, he was conscious yeah. of that because you couldn't have all that information in there, but you can allude to it about using that creativity to present yeah. uh, an idea. Well, sometimes the very restrictions that you hate are what force that creativity out of you and make your story better. You know, so, yeah, I, you know, it's it's probably a good thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it depends on who you're talking to. So um, I thought I would read, I, I pulled your blurb from um, mm-hmm. two books, The, the Cure, and time to say goodbye. Um, do you, I mean, if you, I don't know if you have those, or if you, do you mind if I read them? Okay, right ahead. Okay, and, well, I have to say with The Cure, you had a great endorsement from Tosca Lee. Um, and she said, heartbreak and hope wrapped up in a powerful story of regret and forgiveness. The Cure will have you cheering for love. And Tosca Lee, if, if uh, our listeners don't know, is a New York Times bestselling author, and she's really cool. Um, so Savannah Woods vows to never again to have anything to do with Micah Reddington after he ruins her best friend's career. Yet when Savannah's niece is injured in a serious accident, the one man she can she can't trust is the one she needs. Micah can barely contain his satisfaction when he sees Savannah's message pleading for him to come to her side. Her disloyalty nearly cost his career, and he'll never forgive her for leaving him at the lowest point of his life. Despite her efforts to remain aloof. Savannah keeps seeing glimpses of the Micah she once loved behind his cool exterior. Micah fights an ongoing battle to not succumb to the sweetness of the woman he once cared for, cared for beyond anything else. But Savannah and Micah's hearts remain sick with the pangs of betrayal. What, if anything, is the cure? Wow, that's a really great blurb. When you, I... uh... mm-hmm. No, go on. Go on. No, I was going to just tell you a brief history. I wrote that book over over seven times. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Before you got it right. And it was originally <laughs> called The Doctor's Cure. And The Cure was my first foray into sweet romance because I've been writing edgy Christian fiction. And then I discovered some people wanted sweet, wholesome, clean um, romances that didn't really touch on heavy topics, which is fine. And so mm-hmm. I said, well, let me see if I can reach these readers. And so The Cure was my experiment into that. And when I wrote The Cure, I tell you, when I say I wrote that book seven times, I rewrote it seven times. Um, at one point, the, the, there's a, a little girl, her niece, she was 12 years old. And then I made her a baby. And then by the time I finished it in its final, uh, final draft, she was three years old. And... 
um, she had a different name. So I've written that book seven times. The, the seventh time I wrote it, I said, Lord, if this doesn't get written, then you don't want me to write this story. That's exactly what I said. If you don't want me to write this story, then this story won't get written. So that's kind of like the little behind the scenes of the cure. That must have been a challenge for whoever edited it because when you change all that stuff, I mean, there's always a little something you miss, you know, because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've done that and it's like, wow, this is really going to be something. Um, mm-hmm. So and now, how many times do you write and rewrite a blurb? I try to rewrite a blurb no more than three times. Because if I do it the tenth time, I will never get it done. Because blurbs are horrendous. <laughs> I can write a hundred thousand words, and I cannot write a two hundred fifty word blurb. And after the third time, I'm done. Like we're done. Okay. It's <laughs> so an art form. It, 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 yes. Yes. Yeah, and and it's really, I mean, the first thing a reader looks for, they look at the cover, they like the title, and they turn the book over and read the blurb. And that's like the third thing they look at, and that's the thing that makes or breaks. You know, they yeah. might, and, and if they really like the blurb, then they'll read the first page, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, blurbs are so important, and it really is an art form to me, you know, when you write a good blurb. Um, mm-hmm. And some people, it just comes naturally to them. I don't know. Yeah. Some writers you just want to hate. I know. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I'm going to read, um, let's see, the blurb for a time to say goodbye. And tell me if I'm pronouncing Gargi Kapoor. Gargi. Is that how? Gargi. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gargi Kapoor is the only one convinced her brother Dev is innocent of the crime he was convicted of. When he is sent to the hospital with an unexplained paralyzing disease, she finds herself having to lean on the last person she'd ever want to depend on a man who wants her brother to pay for stealing his mother's life savings. Leon Reckley is extremely satisfied to find the man who ripped his mother off suffering from an unknown disease that leaves him paralyzed and in need of rehabilitation therapeutic services. He's even happier when he is given the opportunity to be the therapist that makes him fit enough to return to prison to finish his sentence. No one will work harder to make sure Dev Kapoor works every minute of his prison sentence. Garji never dreamed the man who has utter contempt for her brother would be the man she slowly begins to trust. Leon never thought he'd be convinced Dev might be innocent, let alone be drawn to his enemy's little sister. Together, will they find the truth? Or when Leon's job is over, will it simply be time to say goodbye? Okay, tell us about that story. Those those are different names. Um, where'd you come up with the names? Well, I have to say this is um, a multicultural story. It's an interracial couple. Um, Gargi is Indian, and Leon is what I would call reformed trailer trash. That's how we call him. <laughs> and I really wanted to play around with a former trailer trash guy who falls in love with an East Indian woman and kind of deal with some of the cultural clashes. But one mm-hmm. thing I wanted to do is how are they the same? Because with a lot of racial tensions going on, I wanted to write a story about these two disparate cultures and how they clash. And so one thing I did, I went to all my – I have like a ton of Indian friends. I went to all my Indian friends, and I was asking questions about the culture, make sure I depicted it accurately as possible. Uh, but I didn't want to make it fully about Indian culture. I want the romance to be, you know, the, per, the, um, the deciding driver of the story. But mm-hmm. what I did, I said, how are they the same? And so – I literally put like a list together. I said, well, trailer trash, okay. <laughs> list was like, trailer trash, okay. What are some good assets of trailer trash? You know, are we calling redneck, but I wanted to use trailer trash, so that was a more politically correct term. Um, right. So what I did, um, I said loyalty, and I put on the other side, loyalty, family-oriented, so family-oriented, um, very devout in their beliefs, very devout in their beliefs. So I put all these same things side by side. And then I put what the differences were. Well, obviously a different culture. That's one thing. Um, And then sometimes trailer trash uh, culture can have prejudice against them. So, you know, you stick to your own and your own is going to stay with your own, that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to have these cultures clash. But in clashing, as they begin to fall for each other, they find they're exactly the same. And so I really played around that idea. And I really enjoyed it. Um, That's one of my fun books. 
um, I, and I love Indian food, so I had to go online, look for Indian recipes. I was trying to get Indian, uh, a couple of Indian people to give me food because I wanted to try it out so yeah. I could taste it, you know. And then one of the one of the scenes in that book, Leon is eating a samosa. And I remember the first time I had a samosa with mint chutney and the explosion of mm. flavor. And so that actual yeah. scene is my reaction to the first time I had a samosa. And he's just wild. And she's looking at him like, really? You know? <laughs> you know? Um, and I like the family-oriented because when I met some Indians, they're very family-oriented. Things of that nature. So that's the behind the scenes of that title actually came from a, from the um, the song by Andre Botticelli and Sarah, uh-huh. you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. I can think of her name right now. The song that says, Time to Say Goodbye. That's where it came from because I couldn't figure out a name for that story. I'm like, what is, what is it going to be called? And I was all of a sudden I went online, started listening to music, and I heard their song together. I was like, oh, that's it. This is it. Because and Andre Botticelli, he's blind. And then Sarah, she's not. He's, I think he's Italian, and she's English. You know, so you had these two people, you know, clashing, and, you know, it was, that's how the title came to be. So that's a little behind the wow. scenes of those two. Ideas and, come from everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, they're part of my Michigan Sweet Series, so I wanted to highlight my state. So there's not a lot of stories about Michigan, so I want to highlight that, too. See, now, that's fun when you kind of, like, um, well, you write what you know much more easily, and then, uh, but then kind of, you know, mix up, do a mashup of, of different cultures, um, different parts of society, and, and just see what happens, you know? And it's mm-hmm. fun, because people, people are people, you know? They have yeah. different traditions and everything, but, but underneath, we're all the same, you know? Exactly. We've got different cultural stuff and all that. But I think that's fun. It makes it more interesting, Oh, yeah, I had a ton of fun doing that, especially when I was going to my Indian friends. I had to make sure the names were accurate because in what well, most people name their children very particularly, but particularly in Middle Eastern cultures and Eastern cultures, a name is vital to that character, I mean vital. And I had to go to one of my Indian friends, his wife. I hadn't talked to her before then, but she had time to help him where he has, he did with his minister. And I said, hey, Fadi, um, what was this name? And so I actually had to change the names because she said that person would never be called this or this person would never be called that or this. So it was vital to have those names correct. And that's why in the in the front of the book, if you if all your listeners get a copy of it, you'll see I acknowledge so many people who helped me to make sure I accurately portrayed it. But if I messed up, those mistakes, not the people who helped. Well, you know, um, whether it's a cultural thing or whether you're writing historicals, readers mm-hmm. will catch you. If you write something oh, yeah. that is incorrect, oh, yeah. they will catch you on it, you know, or if you write in a specific city and you get a street wrong or you get something, something that's particular to that place wrong. Ooh, you will hear from it. Yeah. They will <laughs> let you know. Have you, have you ever gone back? Have you, has someone ever pointed something out to you and you've gone back and, and fixed it? I've had to because it was so glaringly wrong. <laughs> I had to. And I thought I had changed it. And when, I won't tell you what it is because I'm embarrassed, but I won't tell you what it is. But it's actually one of my new releases. And I thought I had corrected it. Um, oh, the yeah. editor missed it. The proofreader missed it. You know, everybody missed it. All right, fine. So <laughs> we all missed it. And then the reader, yeah. of course, brought it out to me. I said, well, I'll have to go back and change it. And it's embarrassing, but thankfully people are a little more forgiving than they were, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago when indie publishing was considered the redheaded stepchild of the industry. Oh, yeah. You know, I can remember um, I used to have a Meet the Christian Author night. I used to host that. And I would, at one time I decided, because I could see it coming, I decided to Mm -hmm. include some indie authors. And some of the traditional authors, they were angry at me because I sat them next to an indie author, like they were a social leper or something. <laughs> because, because we were told, we were told by all the publishing houses, you know, that, oh, don't ever do that. And by agents, and other, you know, and lots of people were like, no, don't, don't ever do that. That is a, a career killer. Um, mm-hmm. But I felt differently because I could see that things were changing. And um mm-hmm. I'm glad they did because we have more options these days. We have, we can, yeah. we can be a hybrid, like I'm a hybrid and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, me too. 
you can stick with traditional, you can stick with indie, you know, whatever works for you, it's fine. You know, we have, um, it's a, it's a bigger world for us now. Not, not so good for publishing houses, but they have to adapt too. And, and, you know, and some of them are, and I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But let's talk a little bit. uh, Do you want to name, would you like to name your books and uh, also where people can find you? Because I mean, well, first of all, I'll say you're on Facebook and Twitter and Goodreads and Instagram. Um, are you on Pinterest? I wasn't sure. Okay. I'm not on Instagram, and I'll be honest with you, I don't get IG. I don't get it. I, I just don't get it. So I'm not on Instagram. And I have Pinterest, but Pinterest to me is this, this massive waste of time to me. It, might, it may not be that for you, Lynn, and I totally fine, <laughs> but for me, it's a massive waste of time. I'm like, I'm like okay. I'm clicking pictures. Okay. Well, it's good I mean, that's for your book. <laughs> it's good for your book, though, you know, to put it on Pinterest because, you know, there okay. are a lot of readers. Um, and also okay. Instagram, I discovered um, a whole different set of readers on Instagram. If I post, um, you know, my book cover on there. So you might want to try okay. that one out. But, um, okay, I'll but try it. If, but I just don't get it. <laughs> it takes a while, but you know, it took a while for me to, you know, get into it. But I'm fully in now. But um, but so readers can find you on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, and you know wherever else you wind up after that. Um, they can also listen to you on your radio show, which we're going to talk about that after after you just kind of rattle off some of your titles and where people can buy them. Okay, so, so I'll do books. that first. Well, all my books are available online. You can simply uh, go to my Amazon page. You can see them. Um, the books that I've written so far are Dark Chair, which is a Christian thriller slash horror story. After that is my Sins of the Flesh series. The first book in that series is called Many Strange Women, written by one. The second one is called The Other Man. The third is called Vengeful Vows. So that's my edgy Christian romance series. After that, I have two anthology works. The first is written in the book called Birds of Passage. It was a charity anthology, so any of the proceeds do not go to us. They go to the um, charity house. And then I wrote a distributed anthology called God Forsaken, which is my first foray into sci-fi romance or fiction. It's a short story. Uh, It was a very fun project. And then after that is my Michigan Sweet series, and Linda already read them, was The Cure and Time to Say Goodbye. And then my... um, my historical series is called Silver Pines. The first book in that series that I've written is called Wanted, Man of Honor. And then my other historical series is called Lantern in the Window. And the first book is called Lantern of Faith. The second book I wrote in that series is coming out Monday called Lantern of Charity. But it is going to be a six-book series written by myself, Parker J., and my co-author, Lynn Donovan. And then oh, I just busy. finished... Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I just finished... My 12th book, which is not out yet, but it's, part, it's going to be part of another anthology, I believe, so I don't know yet, but we're, we're talking about it. And it's basically a retelling, a fairy tale retelling of Rumpelstiltskin. And so that's mm-hmm. going to be out. Um, I don't know when, though. And then my uh, spec fiction work is an Asian-European infusion fantasy called The Druid Spear. I wrote that with Frank Ali, uh, wrote that with Frank Ali. And it's called Ascent of the Gym Bears as a series, and the book is called The Druid's Spear. So those are all my works to date. There are more coming, and it'll change by the, end, by the end of this month. There'll be more works, and then by the end of this year, I'm actually doing a few more historicals and a few more contemporary, and I'm doing a book two of the Ascent of the Gym Bears. So lots of things going on. Um, yeah. I'm pushing myself. <laughs> I'm pushing myself because. If I don't take myself seriously, then my readers won't take me seriously. And I want to make sure that I take myself seriously, and I want my readers to take me seriously because I want them to buy my books. And so if you put out product, then your readers are going to buy your product. And so that's right. why I'm doing all this. Right. You have to you have to satisfy that need. You know, if they like mm-hmm. your work, they will read everything but then if you're not putting up anything new for a while, you know, you get disappointed. Just like if you go to a website yeah. and you want to buy something and then it's not available, you know, it's exactly. disappointing. Okay. So let's mm-hmm. talk about um, TJC media, which I'm guessing stands for Parker J. Cole. Um, 
how tell did you us know? how you got in <laughs> tell us how you got into uh radio and podcasting try to give you the truncated version um I was with another network, and at the time, when I first met them, I was looking for a house. And I went, I had a VA business at the time because I lost my job, and I started a business, a virtual assistant business. And one of my clients lived, um, I'm sorry, one of my clients had a meeting at his mother-in-law's house. And so I went there just to help him out, and he had a podcast on Blog Talk Radio. And I didn't think anything of it. I was just doing administrative work for him. So then I would say about... Eight months later, my husband bought a microphone, and I said, why do we have a microphone? He said, it was on sale. I said, but no one in here is going to be on radio. Why do you have a microphone? It was on sale. I said, I got $20 off. The mic's $150, Linda, okay? And I said, why did you buy a $150 mic? I mean, I was livid. When I Wait, and it's a Yeti, of, it's a Yeti too, yeah, just Yeti. like mine. Because I've seen your yes. microphone. I've spoken into it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting okay. there going, why did you buy this? Mic- I was livid. I cannot tell you. Even the memory makes my blood pressure rise. So I couldn't understand why he bought this microphone. And so then about a year and a half passed, and I got an agent. And she was like, you know something, Parker? She said, I think you should start a, a podcast show. <laughs> and I said, really? Because mind you, I hadn't told her about this guy. I had not told her about this guy. Yeah, that's how spontaneous or how God-driven it was. And I said, the only person I know who has an online radio show is my client, you know, and that's literally how it all came to be. And so he took me under his wing, and then in 2016, I started my own network, and now we have six shows on our network. Two are in Philly, one's in, one's in Detroit, and then my shows. So we have another one coming on board next month that's in California. And we have another one coming on board a little bit later on this year that's in California as well. And so we're growing um, all Christian talk radio. Um, we try to we try to be very honest and open about our conversations, and we want people to be engaged. And so if you want to get notification of when our shows come on, just simply go to pjcmedia.net. Again, that's pjcmedia.net, and click on the subscribe and put in your email, and you'll get email notifications for when our shows air. Now, my two shows that I host are called Right Stuff, which airs every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And then my other show that I host is called The Parker J. Cole Show, which airs on Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now, what differentiates between the two is that the Tuesday show, I showcase Christian authors worldwide. I've been doing that show for five years. The Parker J. Cole Show, I've been doing for three and a half years. And that's more like biblical commentary, guest interviews, talk talk shows, that's more of that show. So that's how to differentiate between each other. And then my other hosts on the network, they have their own shows, like Sundays with the board, she has testimonies. Mondays is the Marriage Playbook with coaches Eric and Fran. And then Friday is our Detroit show, which is local news, local talk, with uh, Let's Talk About with Jenny White. And then our new show coming on board is the Craig Carlisle show, Talking to Men and Men Empowerment. So that's going to be very exciting um, to have on our network. We try to keep um, each show different and eclectic and make sure that we hit topics all over the Christian genre. Wow, that's so cool. That's exciting, you know. And and maybe maybe your husband heard from God <laughs> when he bought you know that what? microphone. <laughs> it's just I didn't hear from him, you know. And I remember thinking, I, I maybe he thought, I don't know what was on his brain at the time because when he bought it, and I said, okay. And I mean, my, the guy who was training me said, well, you need a microphone. And the microphone my husband had bought was in a basement for two years. You know, it was and, it was, years, you know? and it's perfect, perfect too, because it was perfect. I shopped around. I shopped mm-hmm. around for the right mics. And this is a good medium price mic. You know, it, yeah, it just, it, it works beautifully. So, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I tell you. Okay. Um, I thought we would take the last minutes. I mean, we're you know, we don't have that much time left, but I thought we would talk about something really fun. Um, sci-fi. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what I'm going to tell, I'm going to ask what your favorite obscure sci-fi movie is. And I'll tell you mine. Okay. My favorite obscure sci-fi movie is the crack around the world. I think that's what it's called. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, the crack that's around familiar. the world. Wait, that's kind of it's familiar. From the, from the 60s, I think. I think it's from the 60s. Okay. The crack, something like the crack around the world, the world cracked. It's something like that. And it's a yeah. horrible 60s movie. But I love it because it's so good. <laughs> okay? <laughs> it's a nice B-rated sci-fi movie. I mean, these people were pulling around with geothermal energy or something, and they cracked the world in half. And this crack is going around the world. And um, they're trying to save the world from being cracked open. And the next thing you know, at the end, I'm, I'm, I'm spoiling for everybody. At the end of the movie, half the world comes off and turns to a second sun. So that's what happened in that movie. Oh, so they didn't leave it like like the end question mark. No, basically the world is still there. Just like half of it turned into a sun. Wow. So then we have two suns. Two suns. Yes. Yes. Oh wow. <laughs> that's it. wild. Okay, well, my favorite is really obscure, and I saw it when I was, oh, I think it was in my early teens. I finally saw this gem, and it was made in the 1960s. It's Japanese, and it's called Attack of the Mushroom People. And I think I saw that. I think <laughs> yes, I saw they, that, I think. They, oh my God. To, they get shipwrecked on this island. It's a little boat trip, and, you know, kind of like Gilligan's Island, except uh-huh. mushroom people. And so they get trapped in this island. And the longer you're on the island, if, if you're hungry, you're going to eat the mushrooms. But then you turn into a mushroom, basically a, a walking not? mushroom. Yes. <laughs> and, which is my favorite. <laughs> because, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, it's a different language. So, of course, you know, you've got the closed caption stuff. And um, mm-hmm. it's it's just the acting is so bad and, and the costumes and everything are so bad. It's just perfect. It's perfect. I know. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yes, I love it. yes. So, and I don't even know where you can find it. And probably the crack around the world. I don't know where you can even find this now. Where do you find old movies like that? You know? Well, Granny, my granny has them. And so uh, she has VHS. And when she, I think she got it online one time. And I said, what are you watching? And I'm watching this. Well, are you kidding me? You know? <laughs> But then it was so wow. horrible. I loved it. It was so horrible. I loved it. <laughs> now, um, do you remember, like, your favorite kind of cheesiest, um, like, I remember Space 1999. I remember that one. Mm-hmm. And I remember mm-hmm. Logan's Run. Oh, my gosh, Linda. <laughs> you did not go there. Yes, you did. You yeah. did go there. You said on air, yeah. too. Oh, my gosh. Really? <laughs> Oh, Even though the TV series, but it wasn't any good. But um, but the movie itself was like groundbreaking for the time because you know the special yeah. effects were super cool. But of course now you watch it now you go like really? <laughs> yeah, it's like watching stop action or whatever. You know, I mean it's just really really cheesy and the costumes oh, yeah. and everything. But um, mm-hmm. can you think of any other one that that just you know stands out? I think was, for me, uh, like the cheesiest one so far, there's so many to choose from. Sometimes you can't think of just one because it's so many. Um, I know. I what, do you, you know, know for me, like the wizard, that the guy who was a wizard. I mean, not wizard. He was a little. He was a midget or I, I, what's, what's the term now? Little person. Puffin I, I don't stuff. Know the, yeah, <laughs> no, something. Oh, he was short. It was called the little wizard. person. Little person. Yeah, yeah, little person. And he was. He was like, uh, he was saw crimes. He's like a wizard or something. I cannot remember. It's so horrible. It's from the 80s even, you know. I think he played oh. Willow. I think he's the guy who played Willow in the movie Willow. Yeah. Um, but I can't I think, think of him. the, I, gosh, I can't think of the show. Hmm. Oh, I think it's I mean, the Wizard. Okay. Well, like, and, and I remember even Steampunk, the Wild Wild West was Steampunk. That was a precursor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know. Oh, I, well, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of odd shows back then, <laughs> like HR <laughs> Puffin stuff. I used to watch that. <laughs> that was the weirdest children's show. Of course, there's weirder ones now, but I mean, that was yeah, that was it back then. Well, you know, I got hit. I got bit by nostalgia recently because I was wanting to watch Ducktales, and so I went online and I forgot they had rebooted Ducktales. And oh. I was listening to the theme song, and I was like, oh, my gosh, they, they really captured the essence of DuckTales. And 
listening to it like for an hour, even though it's like a one-minute song. A one-minute song. <laughs> I was listening to it for an hour because I was trying to nostalgia of this. So I didn't know what Chip and Dale next. You know, you know that cartoon Chip, 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 Chip and Dale. You know, I was hoping they come with that. You know, they're gonna bring all these movies back. You know, from my childhood. I was like, oh my gosh, you know. I think they should leave some of those alone, though. They redo them, and then they're just never the same. You know, it's like, no, no never. leave them alone. They're perfect. Like, stop it already. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, Parker, it's been wonderful having you, and um, I want to have you back because we have so much fun, you know, oh, yeah. just talking, just chatting. We have so much in common. And um, oh, yeah. I really love talking to you. Have a Have a wonderful evening. Thanks for spending time with us today. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And we'll be back soon. All righty. So long. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary VGW void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky? in line at the deli I guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.